Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, recruiting top elite talent, regulatory quality talent in the medical device industry it's tough, man. It is really tough. And it's vitally important. It's important to us at Greenlight Guru as we grow our team and our product and the customers that we support. And I know it's tough for many of you who might be listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. So I'm really excited about this episode where I get a chance to chat further with Mitch Robbins from the Anthony Michael Group. We explore some RAQA recruiting myth and enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, it's it's an interesting time of year. Uh, maybe it's, uh, well, it's just an interesting time of year. We'll just leave it at that. But at the same time, I think it's a good interesting because there's so much demand for quality and regulatory resources in the medical device industry. I know here at Greenlight Guru, we're growing. We're looking to add gurus to our team with strong med device quality and regulatory experience. And and I've been you know, working with a gentleman by the name of Mitch Robbins. I mean, Mitch is the managing director at the Anthony Michael Group. Mitch, welcome to Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and and I mentioned I'm working with you because, you know, I've got you, uh, you're doing uh, some really great work for us in finding really great folks to to fill some of our internal needs. And I know you and I have had a chance to chat a couple times in the past on the Global Medical Device Podcast. And the reason that that I'm always intrigued to, to have a chance to talk to you is you have really good content, you have a really good perspective on uh, the pulse of the medical device industry. So I guess I'm curious, I guess share with folks, uh, you know, I think I've told uh, folks before on on Global Medical Device Podcast episodes where you've been a guest that you you just operate differently than other recruiters. And and I get that this is probably your secret sauce or your competitive advantage, but, you know, I'll, I'll throw this up for you. Why do you care so much about, you know, why do you invest so much time, effort, and energy to really understand this? Probably the same reason you invest so much time and energy uh, into uh, Greenlight Guru and into your team. It's a passion of mine. And I think, you know, I operate on the philosophy of let's try and provide as much value as possible uh, at any way, at any uh, turn. And whether folks work with us directly or not, or they glean stuff from my content that could be useful, it's a passion of mine uh, to help organizations build uh, elite teams and watch candidates uh, have the opportunity to take um, roles that they more than often weren't even expecting to come across their desk and completely change their lives for the better. It's, a, it's been a passion of mine for over a decade now. Yeah, and that's been sort of the spirit of previous uh, conversations that you have ha- you and I have had on the Global Medical Device Podcast. And I thought we could do you know a, a, a kind of the next version of that, if you will, um, and focusing a little bit on you know, kind of the hiring side of things and maybe some do's and do nots that hiring managers and, and med tech leaders should be focusing on. You know, from my perspective, there are some absolutes. And I realize as you and I've talked that uh, this isn't necessarily how a lot of people hire folks. So 
you know, as you've talked with med tech leaders or observed med tech leaders, you know, what are some of the gotchas that that you've seen? I mean, what are some of the the big mistakes that that you see people making when they're trying to hire talent? Yeah, I think today uh, it'd be great that you know I really call it the five uh, myths of recruiting elite um, med tech technical talent, and we can kind of break down each one of them. But I'm a, <laughs> you could have to bear with me because I might get yeah. fired up. Uh, That's okay. Go stuff, for it. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned that we're working together and helping you build out your team, and um, you were talking about some of the success we're having, and I, I want to attribute one of the primary reasons um, to you being so invested up front uh, in being really a gateway uh, to the talent that uh, gets to be interviewed with Greenlight Guru and have conversations with, <clears throat> um, and then also just the time you've invested to really... I'll be able to help us flush out the employer value proposition. What's in it for uh, someone right now who's doing a, a, the very similar job elsewhere? Why should they stop in their tracks and at least be compelled enough to have an exploratory conversation with you? And so one of the biggest myths out there is that recruiting uh, isn't necessarily the hiring manager's responsibility. It's, it's HR or talent acquisition. I see way too many uh, hiring managers you know, heads down, focused on, you know, other tasks that they, of course, they're responsible for, you know, meetings with health authorities or audits or dealing with submission deadlines. I get it. But I just feel like waiting for talent to, to come to them is a huge mistake and ends up causing so much havoc on the back end. And so let me kind of break some of the things down. I, I often hear, I, you know, when we are talking with new prospective clients. I hear things like HRs taking care of the recruitment process or, you know, HR handles all recruiting firms and, and they kind of tell us who to work with. And I don't get involved until HR sends us resumes. And the analogy that I would use is consider, consider a baseball general manager whose main role, probably more than any other sport, is to really field a championship caliber team. And his job pretty much 100% depends on the real world performance of the team he fields. So obviously it's incumbent that he attracts, selects, and signs the, the very best talent possible at each different position. Can you imagine in, if the general manager didn't uh, get involved with the recruiting process and own those hiring decisions? So I feel like it's ludicrous to not be involved early on in the process and really help talent acquisition or HR or the third-party recruiting firm truly understand how is this person going to impact um, the, the, uh, the organization as a whole, the department, and most importantly, think about this, the fundamental, um, element of being a leader is having the ability to feel the team of top performers. It just is because ultimately your boss and the organization hold you accountable for the department, for the outcomes that come out of your department. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, um, every, possible candidate that that we're looking at at Greenlight for to add to our our customer success team uh, the gurus if you will I screen every one of those resumes uh bef- before anybody else no one else sees those resumes but before uh I have a, a pretty good feel about it and um in fact, even after the resume, I, I'm the first point of contact. I, I do a, an initial phone screen. What I'm looking for on a resume is certainly, you know, that's important, right? That, and I guess this is a, a tip that I would give uh, folks out there who may be looking for career opportunities. 
if you have spelling errors on your resume, I'm probably not going to read it any further. <laughs> you know, if, if there's just typos and things like that, it's just eh, probably uh, if you didn't put enough time into the quality of your resume, then I'm probably not going to put a lot of time in, into going to that next step. So I know that sounds a little harsh, but there's a lot of things coming across my plate and I'm invested in the hiring and the recruiting process. So I want to make sure that the, the, the time that I'm investing are the people that at least took uh, you know quality and put it you know front and center and presented you know their best case so that resume is very important and I'll come back to that here in a moment but I had a funny story the other day uh, Mitch I, somebody I asked them to send me their resume after I met them at an event or something and they're, oh I don't have a resume you know it's like oh come on please I mean are, are you seeing a lot of that that people are uh, candidates are saying oh, I don't have a resume is that a thing these days you know, it's funny you bring that up because that's happened to us twice uh, in the last week for a role that we're recruiting on. But these people had been with the same company for the last 17 years. However, what I would say is I think it's vital uh, because you never know when an opportunity is going to come up that yeah. uh, somebody taps you on the shoulder for, right? I think it's vital. There's so many templates out there that you can easily grab from the Internet and give you a framework and take the opportunity, take the time to make it a living, breathing document on a weekend or something so that if you ever need it, it's right there. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I know it may be, um, some people may be saying this is crazy what I'm about to say. I keep my resume updated all the time, and I'm not looking for anything. It's just I, uh, you know, three, well, who's to say three years from now I can remember the, the really cool, awesome things that I'm doing today. I, I'm not. So I, I use that. I refresh the resume every you know sixty to ninety days or so, and I just keep it current, keep it up to date. I, I think it's it is bragging a little bit, but you should brag because you're proud of if you're proud of what you did, then you should have this is your story as a candidate that and that story's got to be compelling to the people that might be looking to hire somebody with your background. So tell a good story. I mean, I'm not saying make things up, but but make sure your story is compelling and relevant to the opportunities that you're exploring. And I'll throw in one more thing as long as we're talking about resumes that uh, that might help our listeners. So many resumes are basically a alphabet soup resume of, of yes. responsibilities, right? Oh, my goodness, yes. Technical language, um, anything that they think are hot buttons is going to catch, catch uh, an algorithm in a computer that's going to scan the resume or that is going to impress a hiring manager because they have the hot button on what is going to set you apart from somebody doing the exact same job down the street are the outcomes that you've been able to deliver as a result of your responsibilities. Amen. So I always tell people, summarize two, if not three sentences of what is the scope of your role, and then use bullet points to really, for the meat of your resume, to discuss where you've either made money, saved money, improved the process, whatever it may be that your role is responsible for, what are the outcomes that you've been able to deliver? That's what's going to set you apart. Absolutely, and, and that's that's a really important point. So, I, you know, as, as a hiring manager, as a, you know, as you're looking for med tech talent to add to your team, that's what you're looking for. And I, and maybe that's part of the reason why some med tech leaders are like, eh, let HR handle it, because they don't want to filter through, uh, you know, the the BS that you know, the alphabet soup. So, folks, if you're looking for opportunities. Tell a compelling story, you know, and make sure you your resume doesn't look like the pile of other resumes that are coming across HR people and hiring managers' desk. You know, make it compelling, make it make it intriguing. So 
So I'm going to get fired up here because <laughs> I'm really passionate about this. Yeah, well, I know you, you know, are. We're talking about resumes. We're talking about you know HR and hiring managers not getting involved early enough in the process. You have to realize HR and talent acquisition, it's not their fault. They are responsible for so many different aspects of the business. Even if it's just solely recruiting that they're responsible for, they have the entire organization to worry about. So they can't be the domain expert like you are as the hiring manager. That's why when you're frustrated that HR is passing along resumes because they have the right keywords or they meet the right qualifications that the job description says, but then you realize, man, these people have, they're nowhere close to what we're looking for. It's your own fault. You need to get involved yeah. early on. You need to yeah. help build out a performance profile. What indicators of past performance will help indicate future success on your team? Really flush that out. You, in my opinion, the hiring manager with the demand in today's marketplace for regulatory and quality talent, there is absolutely, in my book, it's a mandatory must that the hiring manager should really be the first call. And here's why. Not only can you vet out the technical acumen, but you really need to be having your courting hat on too. There's too much competition out there. So if you can get in to a conversation and help explain the value proposition of coming to the, to your organization, what is the person going to be exposed to? What are they going to have the opportunity to be a part of project life? What is the growth trajectory look like for them? Those are the things that really get somebody fired up and then let, it, let HR do their job to help with the rest of the screening process. Yeah. That's my yeah. opinion. No, I, I agree. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I like to talk to uh, potential candidates first because I want to understand, you know, what they're all about. And of course, we've got a job description, but, you know, the a job description is a collection of words and, and there's so much about what you're trying to convey that you're doing at your company that's special that sometimes it doesn't really find that emotion, that energy, that passion. It's hard to get that in, in words and in a job description. So I want to be the person that kind of sets that foundation with a candidate who may be looking at Greenlight Guru as a stop in their career because I want them to understand what we're doing here is special. It's different. It's awesome. It's amazing. And, and I want to, you know, see, does this person have an opportunity to, to contribute to, to what we're doing, our growth and, and, and the opportunities that, that we have here? So I, I, it's, you get a lot from a conversation. And, and for me personally, that, that, you know, once I review a resume and I say, Hey, Mitch, I want to talk to this person, that first conversation that I have with, with a candidate is probably about 30 minutes. And I'll, I'll give you my own perspective. I'm not saying this is, you know, this is an absolute. Um, I know that after, if a person after that first conversation with me, if you know, I, I feel like there's something, some opportunity, then I I pull in other people from my team uh, for a more in-depth, you know, down in the weeds. Can this person? Do they have the technical chops? Can this person do the day-to-day? -day? Uh, I'm just trying to figure out: is this person as have passion, enthusiasm, excitement, energy. Can they be part of the vision of of our group? Can they be part of the vision of our company? That's what I'm trying to assess in that first 30 minutes. So it, there is an investment of time, and and I agree with you. It's it's totally it's not only my responsibility. I think it's my obligation to my company to to be so involved early and often throughout the process. And I think that's why we're really building a, a great relationship because I, 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 you just get it. You get it. And, um, you know, I think what is happening so often is that people think, well, they want to come work here. So, you know, they just kind of go through a process and it's not that way. 
They can go to any number, especially in regulatory and quality functions. They can go to any organization they want for the most part if they're good. There's that much competition. So it really has to be a, a courting a process. And who better to sell what the vision is and what the opportunity is than the person that's running the show? And yeah. how much credibility does it lend when you're willing to invest that time up front versus putting them through you know, an HR screening process that's really not going to be able to articulate the way you can? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, as you were uh, mentioning that, I was thinking back to a point uh, many years ago where I found myself in a need to find a new job opportunity because, unfortunately, at the time, I was let go from, from the place that I was working. And, you know, I had a young family and a mortgage and car payments and all that stuff, but and I didn't have much of a nest egg, frankly, to fall back on. So I, it wasn't like I could be – and I didn't get a severance package, so it wasn't like I could be uh, without work for a period of time. Yeah, you know, I am. I, fortunately, I had a few opportunities, but the the one I ended up taking, I'll be honest, I it did raise a lot of red flags because the first I didn't talk to the the uh, actual hiring manager and until step three or four in the process. The people that I were talking to were, it was like the HR people. They were just, you know, asking me the standard fair questions, and and it wasn't. It was very cookie cutter. It was very checkbox oriented, and you know, yeah, I ended up taking the job, and I knew when I was doing it that uh, there were lots of red flags uh, about that position, and you know, and I was right with the red flags. You know, within about nine months, it's like this isn't the place that I want to be. You know, which is not fun for wasn't fun for me as the person who just who who was taking an exposition, and and I'm sure it wasn't good for that company either because now you know they had to go fill another role. So, you know, this is just, this is important. Uh, finding good people, uh, recruiting talent, growing talent, all those sorts of things. It's an investment. Um, and you don't want to have to go through this perpetually. There's no doubt. And I think that really leads into kind of what we're, we're alluding to is uh, the second myth, which is I have no time to recruit uh, elite talent. And I want to make a point. I think HR and talent acquisition play a vital, vital part. I always tell uh, organizations, the best recruitment process is a triangular relationship, especially if you, yeah. it's either a dual relationship internally between talent acquisition and HR if your company is big enough to have a department in addition to the executive or the hiring manager, or if you're utilizing a third party headhunter, it's a triangular relationship between all three because I think each one plays a vital function. But I often, you know, the other myth is I have a no time and I, I, it's, you know, it's uh, an insidious trap and uh, one that most leaders of technical functions face every day, which is usually why they pass the buck to, to HR and talent acquisition. It's the, you know, I have no time because I don't have the right people on my team, but I don't have the right, right, the time to hire the right people for my team. And, uh, you know, I think what happens is uh, these, these leaders end up spending a large chunk of their time recruiting, excuse me, instead of rec- uh, spending a decent amount of time recruiting and attracting high caliber talent. They end up spending their time micromanaging or I guess to be real babysitting uh, average performers. And in my opinion, I really think that 20, if not 30% of the time should be spent on recruitment and development of your team. And it sounds impossible, but, but think about this. If, if you have the opportunity or you make the sacrifice to give time up front and really develop an elite team, your yes. work becomes so much more streamlined and you're going to have so much more time in your day. And I think, again, to, 
to make the point again, the mark of a strong real, uh, leader is not micromanagement and hard work. It's really a strong team, uh, plain and simple. It, it really is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I ain't got time for that. You know, uh, what's important to me is, is people who are self-starters, people who have drive, people who are passionate, uh, people that can move forward with a little bit of guidance and direction, but, you know, they, they're just able to, to kind of do it, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that, that when you're as a hiring manager, that when you're having conversations with folks, I mean, there's, you kind of, the, the sooner you're involved with that process, you know, the, the easier it is to vet or flesh some of those things out. And it, and it actually helps you better inform the next steps in your process. Like, oh, wow, there was, Something here that that I uh, that I uncovered or that that uh, raised a, a mini flag or an alarm that we should probe into a little bit more. I mean, like you and I, um, you know, every, every time you bring someone uh, uh, to my uh, put somebody in front of me, uh, you and I talk very candidly about that and. And, and, you know, well, let's, let's, this is a red flag or this is an area and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I, I get a chance to talk to the person and, you know, I can either prove or disprove uh, some theories that I had and, and formulate some new ones. And, you know, after I talk to the person, I'll say, Hey, Mitch, I'm a little concerned about this thing. And, and you're able to do a little bit of additional research and, and conversations with the candidate. And, and so it becomes a really great partnership. But, um, yeah, I mean, who, who better, this is a person that's going to re- report to you and your team. You, uh, better have a really good understanding of how this person fits into the equation as soon as possible. Uh, you know, and you're trying to be, yes, I know you're busy. And to, to Mitch's earlier point, I know you got a lot of meetings and submissions and, uh, ISO certifications and all these things that you're trying to do. Uh, but a little bit of, of your investment up front is going to save a lot of time, effort, energy, and cycles from everybody involved in your hiring process if you just invest a little bit of that time on the front end. Yeah, I mean, to sum it up, it's short-term pain for long-term gain, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so you have, uh, I think we've covered a couple of the myths. Uh, I guess before we dive too much deeper, I want to remind folks I'm talking to Mitch Robbins. Mitch is the managing director of the Anthony Michael Group. Uh, if you've heard Mitch and I chat on the Global Medical Device Podcast before, then then you know how I feel about him. And if you haven't, let me remind or share that with you. He's been the, the most engaged, finger on the pulse, a recruiter for the medical device industry that I've ever uh, crossed paths with. Uh, he is very invested in making sure that that he's bringing the right opportunities, the right candidates to Greenlight Guru, uh, because you know he's doesn't want to waste my time and doesn't want to waste his time. So you know, we've had a lot of calibrating conversations along the way, and, and I can tell you, as he and I are speaking right now. Uh, we've, we've got some really solid candidates that have come into the queue and, and I'm, Mitch, I'm hoping that, that at least one of those candidates, uh, turns into a, a new hire for Greenlight here in the very, very near future. Yeah, uh, I, I do the same and I just want to say I really, really appreciate, uh, uh, the relationship that you and I have been, uh, building along the way. I have nothing but the utmost respect for you personally, but also what you guys are doing at, at Greenlight and it's, uh, our honor to be helping you build your team. Yeah, absolutely. You, you said something a moment ago about elite. You know, elite uh, is one of those uh, ambiguous terms, and and 
you know, at the same time, I think that's what we all aspire is to have elite teams and, and elite team members and that sort of thing. I think this is a myth that I can see elite. I know elite, an elite person when I see it. I mean, how can one possibly know elite when they see it? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think so many executives feel like they have this gut instinct um, that they, they just have this, basically that they can trust their gut, that when it's right, it's right. But it's really, when you, when you look at stats, it's not, the, it's not the case. 50%, it's like 48, it's not all the way up to 50% now of all hires are mishires. And, oh, and, whoa, 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 sorry. I don't, I don't want to leave that too soon. So say that one more time. Yep. So that's staggering. Research, and I can back it up with, uh, where this research comes from, but, Almost 50% as it stands today of all hires are mishires. That's crazy. That's crazy. Not only that, but then think about this. For those that aren't classified as mishires, only a small percentage of those would would uh, be considered unqualified successes uh, in their role. Or in other words, like we're talking about, elite. So the numbers don't lie. Our gut instincts, at least when it comes to hiring, uh, really do tend to be wrong most of the time. And let me let me try and clarify uh, why we think that is. Gut instinct is really the confluence of two byproducts of, of, of evolutionary lineage. And uh, what, what it boils down to is what we call affinity bias and confirmation bias. And affinity bias is really the tendency to warm up to people that are like ourselves. And confirmation bias is the tendency for people uh, to seek out information that really confirms those pre-existing assumptions. So what happens is most of us will make an initial assumption about a candidate within the first few minutes of meeting them. And it's, you know, that we'll usually react positively if they ask and perhaps talk like ourselves. And then we'll spend the rest of the interview unconsciously trying to confirm that initial assumption. And it's, it's human nature. We all tend to do this. And we do this uh, at the expense, though, of really using an objective set of measures to assess candidates. And so you know, the myth is I know elite talent when I see it. It's just not. It's just not the case, and the numbers show it. Yeah, that that stat is staggering, and you know, it's. Um, I think it leads to further uh, support for a hiring manager to be integrally involved because elite talent isn't going to ooze out of a resume. Uh, I mean, I can write a fantastic resume. And you might talk to me and you might say, wow, this guy just doesn't get it, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to know when you see it. And and I think one other thing, I mean, it's not necessarily your myth, um, but I, I often remind, I have to remind my team that it's, I think it's my job, my duty, and I think it's our team's duty when we're interviewing candidates that we got to try to push some buttons. And I'm not trying to be a, um, I'm trying to choose my language properly here for the podcast audience. <laughs> I'm not just trying to be a contrarian or, or uh, a pain, but I, I, every person I talk to, the first conversation, I, I try to talk them out of it. I try to t- paint an accurate picture about how hard it is to work here and that this isn't for everybody. And and I, you know, encourage and coach my team that hey, get to the root of the issue because when people are interviewing and they're going through that process, this is their best behavior. And you want to find out what they're, what they're, I mean, within legally, don't mishear me, but you got to find out you know, what things are just going to be problems and challenges during that interview process. You have to try to uncover that because 
nothing is worse than hiring somebody, you know, going through that the best behavior phase, if you will, during the interview process, and then you know, a few months into the job, you ask the person to do something that that you know you believe is perfectly within the scope of the job that you hired them for. And all of a sudden you find out, oh, wow, they're not equipped to do this. Or, oh, wow, uh, they're really, they've got a bad attitude about this. I mean, try to find that out during the interview process. It's amazing how this conversation is flowing. So everything that we're talking about today, John, is really based on a, a book or a mega guide that I, I curl with a, a colleague of mine. It's called The Pathway to Recruit, Hire, Onboard, and Retain Elite Technical Talent. It's uh, no cost a no-obligation guide for the industry, where it's really a, a tell-all from the very first look all the way through the very first day and beyond. And what's interesting about what you just said about getting them on board and realizing, hey, this isn't the person. The person who showed up is not the person that we interviewed. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about in this guide is, is uh, the test drive. The very last phase of the interview process is to put them in a real-life scenario, give them uh, an opportunity to demonstrate their skill set, in a real-life scenario to, to validate, can they do this job? We go into much more detail, but it's the epitome of, of really one last time trying to vet out, are these uh, is this person the real deal, or is it just a, a face in the interview? Yeah, folks, you can find this guy that Mitch mentioned by going to theanthonymichaelgroup.com slash elite talent. As he mentioned, it's free. We'll also include a link to that. Uh, and the text that accompanies this podcast. All right, so Mitch, uh, kind of working through the next myth. I find elite yeah. talent. I uncover it. Um, then what? 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 What is the next myth around elite talent? So there's this uh, idea that I, you know, you can't get the elite talent to work there, and um, you know, a lot of companies maybe don't feel like they can compete with the major billion dollar organizations, or maybe they don't have enough, uh, sexy things to offer because they're in, in whatever phase of, um, development that they're in. Maybe they just, they just don't feel like they have the confidence to, to hire, uh, high performance who can go elsewhere. And I would say you can, as long as you break the mold that I see many, uh, technical leaders falling into. And, and that's really the following one is relying on boilerplate, uh, job postings. Keep in mind that, uh, here's a couple of stats for you. So at any given point, the marketplace, the, the um, employment marketplace as a whole, at any given point, roughly 32% of people are actively looking, meaning they're looking at job boards and they're actively trying to find a position. But when you, somebody goes to a job posting, only 3% end up applying, but they're applying after only 76 seconds of, of looking at the job posting. This is why you get roofers <laughs> applying for directors of regulatory affairs. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I had no idea, but it totally makes sense. Yeah. So these are real stats. So keep in mind, so 32% of the marketplace active. This is not, this is not um, medical device. This is the entire employment market. Okay? So it's probably even less in medical device. But let's use that stat. That means that there's roughly 68 70% of people who aren't even out there looking. There's another stat that says up to 80% of people at any given time are at least open-minded to an opportunity if it was going to be an enhancement to, to what they're doing today. They're at least open to hearing about it, um, but they're not necessarily actively looking. So when you're dealing with such a finite pool of people who are actually looking at your job postings, it, it begs the question, why are we using these boilerplate job postings that all we do is talk about requirements and responsibilities, Right. 
And so really leveraging an opportunity to tell your story, put together an employer value proposition that is not subpar, tell your story, what's in it for them? Why would they join Greenlight Guru? What's going on with the company? If they do come in and, and do a great job, what does that look like? What would they have to deliver on to be considered a high performer? If they do deliver, what's in it for them as far as growth? So really flushing that piece out as far as your employer value proposition. And then when it comes to um, the hiring process, really understanding you can't hire somebody, a B or C player, the the way you hire an A player. If you've got somebody who you have identified to be, be a potential elite performer, what are you doing to court that person? What are you doing to expedite the onboarding process? And how are you rolling out the carpet once they are there? Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, you know, you might fool them at the beginning, but once they get them on board and they realize, oh boy, this isn't uh, what I thought it was, <laughs> but there's some issues, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so many good nuggets in there. I mean, it's, um, and I, I guess, you know, looking at it from my lens, some of the things that I look at, I mean, of course, I'm, I want the, the, the most elite uh, talent that I can possibly get. And even with that, I, I'm, I'm also looking for sort of the, the unproven or the diamond in the, in the rough, so to speak, you know, somebody that, that, that you know, maybe is on this, this career path that, um, you know, they haven't achieved their greatness yet. You know, I, I, I want bringing elite talent to your organization is, is one thing, but bringing uh, an, an elite uh, resource to your team in an environment where they can become even more elite than what, what they already are, I think is even more important. Correct. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But elite talent is so expensive, Mitch. How, can, how in the world could I afford elite talent? <laughs> you know what? It's such, this is probably one of the, um, the biggest myths out there. I can unequivocally say that money is not the number one consideration for elite candidates. Now, now let me qualify that. Money is certainly important to top talent. It's important to everybody. And you can't expect the best of the best to work for peanuts. But there's multiple studies out there that have shown that top talent really are driven by something much deeper uh, than numbers on their W-2. And they're driven by what we call self-actualization. And it's funny, you and I were, were having a brief conversation before the podcast. We were, in essence, talking about this very thing. Self-actualization is really the opportunity for somebody to stretch to, for somebody to be challenged, for somebody to constantly be able to be in a position to grow, not be stagnant, not be stifled. That's really what drives elite talent. And I think you would agree. We were literally just talking about this, uh, about fostering yeah. an environment where if somebody's got a lot of horsepower and they want to run, give them an opportunity to run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I, I, think, know, I, I, I just was going to chime in. I mean, I, I want people yeah. who, who are not complacent. I want people who are hungry. I, I want people who, who, uh, you know, they, they want to know what opportunities there are, uh, you know, even if they're not fully vetted and defined. I mean, I want people who are hungry and, and have this appetite to take, uh, our organization, which, which, you know, I have a strong bias, but I believe is pretty good and, and make it even better. Uh, and I want, you know, that's what I want to try to uncover during that interview process. I want to, and you want to be truthful and accurate about how difficult and challenging and, you know, and all those sorts of things and, you know, and, and get their, the, you know, see the stars in their eyes and how excited they are. And, and I want to hear their ideas. Well, what if you did this? What if you did that? Because that, you know, that sort of thing just is going to make, uh, you know, our, our culture even better uh, than what it already is. 
And I want to hammer this uh, a little bit further. So there's a guy out there that I respect, uh, Dr. Brad Smart. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but he wrote a book called Top Grading. And okay. don't quote me on the, the specific amount, but it's right around, he, he claims that it's right around 13 times, uh, the cost of a mishire is right around 13 times a leader's salary. Okay. By the time oh, you wow. add in direct and indirect uh, costs. Um, and so while you may have to pay a little bit of a premium uh, for top talent, think about the savings from not having a mishire derail your team or from not having to hire outside consultants to fix a mishire's mistake. Think about it as an in, uh, basically an upfront investment in a team of elite performers. Uh, how is that not the safest and most profitable investment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if if we were just looking at this as a dollar and, and cents thing, I mean, we're not, especially in the med tech space, especially in in the, in the niche of uh, quality and regulatory people, we're not looking for commodity people, um, you know, and and so you know if if talent's going to cost me, uh, you know, on the on the balance sheet a little bit more. Okay, if you're kind of down in in the weeds looking at at the the do- just purely the dollars and cents, then you know maybe this advice isn't for you. But um, to me, I, I'm looking at the upside. You know, it's like okay, yes, this person is going to come at a maybe a little bit more premium than I had in mind. And uh, what are the upside opportunities? Because I think that's really important. Because you know, I don't have time. You want to talk about the, the things that I don't have time to do. I don't have time to be perpetually in a hiring process. I don't have time to continually screen resumes over and over and over. I don't have time to interview candidates over and over and over again. And if I don't invest the time hiring the right resources, the right kind of talent, the right kind of team members on the front end, then six, 12, 18 months later, guess what? I'm going to be doing it again. And and I think your statistics corroborate that, that if, if you make a bad hire, you're just going to be doing this again in, in about a year's time. Right. And it's really the theme of everything that we're saying is, yeah, there's, there's upfront uh, sacrifice you have to make. You're probably going to work harder to keep up with the, the uh, uh, all the responsibilities you do have. And you are going to be investing time, in, but it's going to cost, it's going to save you so much on the back end. And what I see just time and time again is hiring managers just hiring from what's available because they're desperate to get somebody in. Yeah. A qualified resume got passed over to them. They make the decision when they could have gotten involved so much earlier in the process and had a much better opportunity of having a, a more confident uh, thought-out hire, in my opinion. Uh, totally. I mean, and, and I know we at Greenlight have, have been there uh, before. <clears throat> we had... Um, you know, the position that we're looking to hire, and, and I'm glad that you and I crossed paths. I'll have to look back, and, and maybe you remember how that even happened to begin with. But anyway, um, before that, I mean, we had job postings that were open for a long time. And in the meantime, while we're trying to hire somebody, the amount of work that continued to pile up it wasn't getting smaller. It was getting bigger. So we were at a point where... You know, we, we, we had to, we had some candidates and not everybody was on board, but at the same time, the work was there and it was, it was increasing, not decreasing. And the, the knee jerk reaction was, well, uh, let's just make the hire to, to help, you know, help ease that, that, uh, the burden of the work a little bit. And, you know, thankfully, you know, people on the team are like, whoa, that's not what we do around here. You know, and, and the whole team was on board with this. Like, we'd rather, take extra time. We'd rather uh, take on additional workload because we want to make sure we get the right people to our team. 
And because we all knew and we're all invested in this culture um, at, at Greenlight, and we all know that that uh, you know we haven't. I'll be honest, we haven't in this company. We haven't always had. We, sometimes we we haven't made great hires, or we we've, we've brought people onto the team that haven't always been a great fit. It happens. Okay, and you're not going to be perfect. But think about the cost, uh, the cost of your culture, the cost of your organization, the cost of your time, and so on and so forth when you don't make good hiring decisions. So, you know, thankfully, I've got a good team. We all keep each other in, in check, and, and we're like, no, we're going we're gonna to take our time. We're going to bring the right person in. The work that's on our plate that's piling up is going to be there. It's going to grow, and that cannot be an influence in our hiring uh, process. Absolutely. And to your question, yeah, we met. I reached out to you to be a guest on our podcast. I was so fond of what you were doing. I had you come on to RAQA. Oh, yeah, that's and then, right. Uh, RAQA today, and then you told me about what was going on with the team. But, um, you know, to your point, I just uh, I, I respect the, how much time you invest up front, how much I guess that you are transparent with your own organization of what it means to bring somebody into your culture and how protective you guys are of 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 what you are building there and making sure that you take your time to vet out and recognizing that the upfront time can save so much headache on, on the back end. And I uh, just feel blessed that uh, I've met you and we, we continue to, to be able to partner together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Mitch, I, I know we've covered a lot of ground today and uh, I have a feeling that here in a, maybe a couple of weeks, you and I will have other things to talk about. So why don't we do this? Why don't we put a wrapper on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast and, and let's put a pin in an opportunity to talk about other stuff uh, related to med tech and quality and regulatory uh, on an upcoming episode real soon. That sounds great, John. Thanks again for having me. Oh, absolutely. Folks, once again, I've uh, been talking with Mitch Robbins with the Anthony Michael Group. If you are looking for an opportunity in the med tech industry or you're looking for people uh, to add to your team, uh, I would highly encourage you to contact Mitch and the team at the Anthony Michael Group. It's very easy. Go to theanthonymichaelgroup.com, all one word, and uh, you can contact them. And, and I'll again, once again, I'll provide a link to the guy that Mitch mentioned earlier, but I, I want to thank him for all the work that he does for Greenlight, but also all the work that he, he does for the industry because I think it's really, really good stuff. Uh, so check out his, his blog, check out his podcast. He's got some videos on on um, LinkedIn and I think on YouTube as well. So really, really good stuff. If you're hiring or looking for opportunities, there's some really good nuggets of information. Folks, I also want to remind you, yes, Greenlight Guru, we do have an EQMS software solution that's designed specifically for the medical device industry and only for the medical device industry. And yes, it was designed by actual medical device professionals, people who have worked in this space for a long, long time. So if you want the only medical device EQMS software solution on the market today, then go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about our award-winning platform. And if you're so inclined, click the button that says request a demo and somebody from our team will love to talk to you and learn about your quality management system needs and see if there might be some way that we can help, especially with all of these changes that are coming with EUMDR and 14971 and so on and so forth. So again, go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear.